It was probably one of the most one-sided FAI Cup finals that we've had the pleasure in seeing. But that won't bother those who travelled down from Derry last night or this morning. Congratulations to all at Derry City Football Club. Question is, is this the start of something big at the Brandywell? Welcome to the Big Kickoff League of Ireland podcast in a week where Ollie Horgan departed Finn Harps after nine years in the job. Derry City convincingly win the FAI Cup and a minimum wage has been introduced into the League of Ireland. My name is Roy Shanahan and I am joined by Nathan Doyle from TheBigKickoff.com as usual. Nathan, Derry stuck four goals past Shelbourne without reply. It was a bit of a stroll really for a Rory Higgins team in the end. Yeah, you said in the intro there, Roy, it, it was one of the uh, the most one-sided cup finals. It actually was. It's it's the biggest win in margin in, in the Cubs' history. Uh, uh, Derry Gray coming out for another winners over Shelbourne. Um, it, yeah, it, it was totally one-sided. It was probably one of the worst cup final performances I've seen in quite a while on, on Shelbourne's behalf, Roy. I don't know if you could put, put that down to a couple of different aspects. I know the age of the squad has been brought, not into question, but it's been mentioned you look at Shelbourne through the season, Damien Dub has them really compact, and that's going to be an issue when you put like the Aviva Stadium pitch. You know, yourself, it's absolutely massive. Like, it's it, it's crazy uh, the, the difference the width can make. So, and that's where Derry City got a lot of the danger, wasn't it? You know, they had Michael Duffy, uh, Ryan Graydon, who was absolutely, I thought, was brilliant on the day. Surprised that he actually started. He, he's, he's more of a bit hard player uh, mm-hmm. every now and again for Derry City, but he, he was excellent uh, on the day. So, yeah, that was where the main danger points came from from a Derry point of view but yeah it really was it was all about Derry City in terms of on the field even off the field Roy uh, there was a total 2,000 people at the game there uh, today in the Aviva Stadium over 20,000 made the trip down from Derry City so honestly belongs to Derry City both on and off the field and the the, the job that Rory Higgins has done there has been absolutely brilliant and it's going to be exciting to see can he really make a genuine push at Sean Rovers next season for the title and how far can they go in, the, in European? They had a really underwhelming European run this year. So, yeah. 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 It's some great, great times ahead for Derry City, isn't it? When I looked at the game, Nathan, and I looked at how Shelbourne set up, I was looking at Derry City 4 4 1 1 in defensive kind of shape. And then it opened up a little bit. It was more of a, uh, I suppose, three up front, the wingers tucked in. But Shelbourne played 5 3 2, and they had five at the back to make sure that they couldn't get through, get behind them, but especially on the wing. So you would have the players, the fullbacks closer, the wingbacks closer to the to the wingers. But the first two goals came from uh, yeah. wide areas. Uh, they, they, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that they didn't have the game plan or do you think really they did really well just to get to the final? Um, I think if you if you look at Shelbourne's uh, and the path that they got to the final, now they uh, beat Bray Wanderers handy enough, beat uh, uh, Bonnegy United up in Donegal. While that's a nightmare of a journey up from Dublin to Donegal, it, it's still an amateur non-league side expecting expect to win. Looking at the run, um, the, the, the win over Bohemians in the quarter-final was huge. I just think that it's down to the game plan there. I thought Derry City were excellent. Um, even though they went with the went like I said, uh, Shelburne went with the back five. It, it was the two winners, and even Derry City only gone one up top. I thought that would have been a bit of an issue with the back five. But McGonagall's movement and, and and the bit of freedom that he had there caused the two Shelburne centre halves in, in particular absolute 
they had a nightmare that their hands fall with them, I thought. There's obviously more to it. Um, the the midfield battles were completely dominated by Derry City as well. The two the two Hall midfielders, better range of passing, better better range of movement. But I think if I was looking at the point out the key winners for that game, for me it was the two winners for Derry City and Jamie McGonagall up top. It just caused just the, the free range of movement that he had could cause a nightmare for the Shelbourne back, uh, back line. And I think what happened was was that the, the wing-backs for Shelbourne never got an opportunity to push on and no, help out. No, you, no. Had two, you had two up front who were kind of isolated. They didn't get much ball into them. They were chasing things, really. The ball went longer than it, they would have liked it to. And they just got pinned back all the time. I was waiting to see if Damien Duff would change something, especially at half-time, because they didn't look in the game at all. Nothing really changed, and you know, if you if you keep going with the same situation, the same game plan, you're most likely going to get the same result in the second half, and that's what happened. Yeah, I think a lot of naivety came in. Boy, that was even a half time. I thought the game was was pretty much gone beyond Shelbourne. You need they would have had to have a, a huge second half performance. That's how poor I thought they were in, in the first half. Um, but yeah, it just all, all credit has to go to Derry City and what they've done today. Uh, absolutely brilliant on the night. Yeah, it's, that's not really much else I could say. I was really surprised how poor Shelbourne were. And like I said, uh, in particular, I thought Sean Boyd up top was extremely isolated. You look in the second half, he was pushing back into his own half just to receive the ball, just yeah. to try it and, and get something working. Um, the fact is, well, he started Shane Farrell, who, who was had a, a nagging uh, groin injury for the past number of weeks. I was surprised that he started. He got whipped off a half time. Yeah, just, just some uh, strange decisions made uh, by the management of Shelbourne and by the players themselves. Uh, yeah, naivety was the word that came to mind uh, when I was watching the second half. And listen, Derry City were the outright favourites for this game, deservedly so, and deservedly so yeah. they went and won the game. So I don't think there's any shocks about who won it. I think it was just the manner that it was done in. Now, uh, we might as well stick with Shelbourne because before we go on, and, and we'll, we can, we'll be talking about Derry City again some other time about what they can do next year and, and how far they'll go on. Uh, that could be a long conversation. But oh, yeah. Shelbourne and Southampton, this is an interesting one. It is, Roy, yeah. So this was an exclusive from uh, Danny MacDonald of the Irish Independent, the ever-reliable uh, Danny MacDonald of the Irish Independent, that uh, the Southampton owners are looking to invest in Shelbourne. So this is um, Sports Republic, that's the name of the of the Shelbourne, or the Southampton owner, sorry, uh, anybody interested. They're in advance talk to buying up a significant stake in Shelbourne. This will see them invest some of a cash boost for next season into Shelbourne, which will be absolutely a massive uh, financial injection. So, uh, Sports Republic, they're a London-based um, investment firm, but they're also they're looking to expand their portfolio and go down the route of the uh, the multi-club uh, option that we've seen. You know, the Man City owners have gone under, um, the the Red Bull, uh, the stable that they've done that as well with Lysick in New York and things mm-hmm. like that. So, it, they bought up eight uh, percent of Southampton for hundred million pounds back in January. They also own a seventy percent stake of a talker side. Uh, not even going to attempt to butcher the name, right? Don't you can, don't even at me on that one. And there's also other interest from European clubs, especially in League One. So, the Sports Republic are really trying to uh, get into that multi-club option. Um, for Shelbourne, they've already been over to Dublin. They've, they've uh, met with Shelbourne and listened to. Uh, 
at a two-way conversation about, about what Shelbourne need in the future going forward. Everything, Nathan. And most the development and the growth. Yeah, yeah, the development and the growth of the men's and the women's side, which is brilliant. I love that about Shelbourne, that they, they both under the, umbra, the same umbrella and work in cohesion. But most importantly, Roy, they talked about, and we're going to go back into the target park subject for a second. They, they talked about the improvement of the playing and training facilities, which is something that if anybody has listened to this show, especially throughout the summer, we've talked about the Save Tago Park movement and the Tago Park uh, redevelopment. So, yeah, maybe with the seven-figure uh, seven sum investment that, that could potentially come in if this deal was to be completed, it could be something that could eventually push a Tago Park redevelopment over the line. Yeah, and it's, Jesus, it's it's badly, badly needed. Oh, it's, it's, unbelievable. You know, it's one of the stadiums that was the pride and joy nearly of the league and, and now it's... Uh, it, well, now we're kind of developed this on. Now it's it's nearly a market field stadium where uh, the, the collapse was last week we've seen and really disappointing to see something like that. You could see something like that at one of the other stadiums. So is there now a call to have, I suppose, a higher standard met within the league? Because after that, it looks like the standard isn't good enough. No, boy, and that's it's... Uh, you're referring to the uh, the... the played the fourth division player final, wasn't it, between right. uh, Waterford and Galway. Um, shocking that the game even went ahead at Marketsfield. Like, this is something that the FEI would have been made aware about. There would have been stadium inspections ahead of the game. And there is reports coming out that the FEI were made aware that the, the away end wasn't up, up to snuff. Scary to think, like, like, that could have went wrong so easy. And we, we yeah. and you could be having a completely different conversation here, Roy. Not about, you know, our usual conversation and the right conversations to be having that the, the standard of facilities in this league is, is abysmal. It's simply not good enough by Artala Stadium and maybe Tornas Cross. Um, and there are some other good aspects of, of ground, but as, as a blanket, it's, it's horrific, really, in this league. And the game had to be stopped in the 26th minute for, for a, a lengthy amount of time to get the fans out during the game. And it's, it's more scenes that just bring the professional side of the league down another notch, doesn't it? And it, and it takes us back to looking embarrassing it's a foolish look for the league it's ridiculous that the FEI let this go through their fingers and the same you know we're looking at Tolka Park we're looking at Daly Mount Park I was watching uh, the under-19s the end of McGill Cup between uh, Bohemians and St. Pat's and I know it's getting torn down and demolished but Daly Mount Park is just in an absolute state as well without mentioning Ori Park Finn Harps Drotter even St. Pat's Richmond is falling at the seams too it's yeah it's such a a blanket issue, Roy, and it's something that me and you have talked about a lot. We talked about it in the last show, we're doing Maloney as well. Yeah, major funding and investment needs to come in, whether it be from the outside, whether it be... We've talked about the investment that the, that the government put into the horse racing and the rugby in this country and its pittance. Uh, the FEI, what they get is pittance compared to them. So, yeah, it's it's a disgraceful standard to see. And thankfully, what the, the, the Waterford and Galway game at Marcus Field wasn't a complete disaster because that, that's it's a scary thought to think isn't it that this is yeah. something that's real it's happening on, on our doorstep and that could have went really really wrong really really quickly now it's not only an, uh, to be uh, aesthetically pleasing but now it's a health yeah. and safety issue uh, so it yeah. needs to be addressed everywhere all over the country absolutely um, okay, well, listen, we'll, we'll talk about Ollie Horgan, who departed Finn Harps, an uh, unbelievable character, and will be will be missed uh, up there, no doubt, but obviously must be time to move on for him and the club. But we're going to go on to the minimum wage first, Nathan, and it's been introduced throughout the League of Ireland. Just give us the ins and outs of what this entails, and it's not just full-time, it's part-time too. 
Yeah, and tells everybody why, and I'll break down the figures now a little bit in, in a second. Uh, again, once again, I've seen this one coming from a good friend, uh, Daniel McDonald. can say it with me, people listening along, of the Irish Independent. Uh, so, yeah, the minimum wage uh, being introduced, it's going to be introduced to senior professional players in the League of Ireland, still now being entitled to a minimum wage of €430 Euro from next season. You need to be aged 20 and over to be eligible for that um, €430. Euro. Uh, this is called negotiations have been uh, ongoing between the players' union, the PFEI, as we know them, uh, the FEI's national league committee, and representatives of be, on behalf of both Premier Division and First Division clubs. So, just to break down a little bit more, Roy, you mentioned about the part-timers. Uh, part-time professionals will be uh, entitled to 130 euro per week. Now, this is a real sticking point of the negotiations, and probably dragged it out a little bit more as um, the clubs uh, didn't didn't want it to go much higher. 130 euro per week but the positive benefit of this is that the players will now be paid at the start of the pre-season where in other seasons they would have been uh, paid from the opening day of the competitive season so they're going through the pre-season pretty much not getting any money and probably only getting expenses for traveling things like that so that's that's a it's definitely positive that's going to be changed they're going to be paid from the minute they place of a pair of boots and get into pre-season yeah now another second point is right that when we're talking about teenagers the teenage pay has been split down into a third system based off age and based off playing full-time or part-time football. So I'll get into that quickly. I don't want to overflow the figures, but I think it's it's not what to talk about. If we're looking at full-time teenagers, 19-year-olds uh, will get paid €380 minimum wage per week. 18-year-olds will get 330 per week. But then we're talking about part-timers, right? Uh, 19-year-olds will get €120 per week. 18-year-olds will get €105 per week, and then 16- and 17-year-olds will get paid €90, the minimum wage per week. And that's what they were saying. Clubs can still register players as amateurs, which will mean they they only have to pay their expenses. They don't have to pay them a wage whatsoever. And I was actually listening to, uh, it was uh, Stephen McGuinness was on Off the Ball, and he was saying that there's actually an amateur player played uh, in the FBI Cup final today for Shelbourne. So imagine there's somebody playing or involved in in, in the... uh, in, in a, a country's national uh, cup final, and they were only getting paid expenses to show up to the Aviva Stadium. Um, yeah, it's look, wrong, you, 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 Nathan. When you, just, you, you, just, you, just, uh, just on that, Nathan, because um, you know, first of all, uh, the, there's a minimum wage in the country. Um, does hmm. that have to be met? I think I don't think really the person to, to be asking that issue. I think it's, um, but even the four hundred and thirty euro per week, Roy, and it's a nice thing to come in and at least. Players, they're going to be guaranteed that minimum. But if you take away that 430 euro, like after taxes, that still isn't an awful lot of money uh, no. to live comfortably. I know there's players, and you know, people saying, oh, players are, aren't going to pay for these low wages. Well, they are. They're, they're playing for it. They're, they're doing it now as we speak, and they're doing it for less than, than probably the 90 euro a week that uh, 16 or 17 year old part time professionals are going to get. Yeah. So that there is players out there doing that now. I don't think we should pat ourselves, well, not ourselves, but I don't think we should be patting people on the back too much um, with this news coming in. Like I said, it's great to have that blanket figured and to have that minimum in place, but still, the, the, the likes, especially when you get into the teenagers and the part-time players, it's still a, a relatively low figure um, to expect somebody to, to to be able to make a living and keep it professional because these lads, like, it's no secret, Roy, not only the players, but the managers, also balancing full-time jobs, full-time education, so... Yeah, it's sad to see that we, that there it has happened in the past where we had drop off of players leaving the League of Ireland because they couldn't afford to play, and that that's something that should never really be an issue. 
Um, look, you, you, you're the figure, man. You, you're, the, you're the man that's in, into the figures and numbers on the big kickoff side of things. Um, what do you reckon about them coming in? Like, did, are the figures low? Is it, is it well, a low listen, thing? The, listen, the money is not good. It's not good money. I mean, it's it's okay if you're a, a single lad who's just starting in the game and yeah. he's, you're I looking... Yeah, living with your mom and dad, my yeah, dad or something, you know? After that, then, it, it's not worth a damn. You're going to have to do a full-time job and and try to be a, a professional footballer. I'm sure they don't want you if you're professional. They want you there all the time. So that money is pretty rubbish. But again, you know, I think you have clubs coming in Derry City, you'll have Galway, you have, uh, you might have Shelbourne now, you're going to have these clubs that are going to, there's going to be money put into them and wages are going to have to be decent for people to want to play there if they want to achieve better things. So I can see this being a lower end a sort of scenario where new players are coming in and they want you in on your 52-week contract. A bit like Amaku from Shamrock Rovers. Rovers uh, yeah. And I, I know he's probably going to be leaving now. We can talk about that again. But probably the likes of that, you know, they're coming in, they're going to make a, a half-decent a half wage um, for a starter wage. And But yeah, listen, it wasn't there before. It is there now. So that's a good thing. It's a stepping stone onto better things. Yeah, and like you said, you actually touched on it there, Roy. It's that the fact that this will actually won't affect some clubs. It won't affect the Shamrock Rovers or the Derry Cities or things like that. I think you'd be looking at in the Premier Division next season, like, like I said, Drotter, who, um, you know, part, there's only going to be two part time clubs now in the Premier Division next year, Drotter being one of them. They actually might struggle to afford this uh, this new minimum wage gap, gap coming in now. Uh, there's going to have to be increases on certain players' wages, especially like yeah. the. The lower down squad members that might only be on uh, expenses might only be down as amateurs, so it'll be a struggle for them. And that's not, I think, it is a good thing to come into the league that the players need to be looked after uh, in terms of finances. I don't think this is it, I think it's, it's only the start and it's going to be needed to improve on, especially as well when you're looking at, at the, the women's national league here, right? I think if, if even away from football, mate, right. If you look at Irish sport as a whole over the past couple of years, what's been the main positive news stories in terms of football, boxing, hockey, whatever it may be? A lot of it is the women's sport and, and what the women are doing on a national level. And the Women's National League, that, that's only looking to transition into, into a part-time model now. And that's going to take a, a, a lot of time basically going off expenses and things like that. I know you can understand that the Women's National League crowds as a whole they're not, they're not big enough to justify. We're going to get to need more people to come into the torn soils and that's going to be have to be pushed yeah. by better marketed and things like this. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's an issue with the, both the demands and the women's side of, of the game here in the domestic leagues. Okay, well, well, it's a good start and we'll keep an eye on how that does develop. Again, if there's more investors into the league, it's going to be just the, the minimum wage. And, and obviously, as we said, the, those clubs that come in and have a few quid behind them, it won't matter a damn to them because uh, they'd be trying to do bigger and better things. And that uh, it's more probably more the first division teams now who are going to have to ask questions uh, surrounding yeah. that. So it'll be interesting to see what solutions they come up with. Ollie Horgan, he's gone, Nathan. Nine years, long Good. time. It's a, it's a bit disapp- <laughs> it's a bit disappointing that he's gone out with a relegation, though, isn't it? I wasn't surprised in the least. Roy, I've said it on the show the past couple of weeks. I think that he'd be one of the the the, mari- uh, the managerial um, guys to lead, lead the role. Um, what was I trying to say? Managerial, maybe go around or whatever, you know, stupid Americanized <laughs> saints. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought he was going to be a part of that. I thought he would have left left the hot seat up in Bally Buffet. Um, 
it's got stale up there, right? And there's been times in the past where they've been really in the doldrums and they've been really in the trenches and trying to stay in the Premier Division and avoid relegation. And they had that certain bit of quality there that they just did not have that, that this season. Whether it be down to um, poor recruitment on the part of Ollie and his team, they were very unlucky with the likes of Dave Webster going out with a nasty injury very early on the season. This is a player that's it's invaluable to the likes of Finn Harf and really difficult. But yeah, the, the fact that he's uh, he's gone in a relegation, there's some of that's so beloved in the league. Um, yeah. You could talk about you know the, the, the tactics and the style of play, not the best to watch at times, but it's the passion. It's, it's somebody that really, you know, if you describe the League of Ireland to somebody and what it represents, I think Ollie represents that a lot, doesn't he? Um, yeah. Obviously a Galway man, but he's, he's really made uh, Donegal his home over the past nine years, uh, working as a full-time teacher now up in Letter Kenny as well. It was a real us against the world mentality. You listen to players ask, like when even actually Dave Webster, now we just mentioned him with a perfect example, he left Dublin to go up to uh, Finn Harps. I thought, Jesus, yeah. it's a strange move for Dave. He could have could have stayed in Dublin, you wouldn't imagine with a young family, but it's all people go up there for Ollie Hogan, uh, for the man that he is and the passionate character uh, and the beloved character that he is amongst uh, the League of Ireland circle. So, yeah, it was definitely sad to see him go. We know this isn't his first relegation, but he got backed by, by Finn Hart for four and he got them back up. He's definitely been successful and he's done an amazing job. Well, they wouldn't be on a shoestring budget, the way some people are saying. They've definitely been on a limited budget compared to a lot of other sides in the Premier Division throughout the years. So it's it's definitely going to be a sad one. Uh, it was a sad one to see him leave, but I'm not going to lie about it as a new We love Ollie. We've talked about our, 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 uh, uh, admiration for Ollie for a good while. Ollie Horgan and everybody Collins have a special place in the big kickoff heart <laughs> for some reason. We just seem yeah. to like uh, th- those sort of characters. I think it's just that know. he's been, he was he was old school in his his look and his approach to it. He Listen, he had, he had teams did really, really well. I mean, you you only have a certain amount of money. You're stuck away at the top corner of the country. It's not easy to get players up there. I think he's been a huge success there maybe because of how successful he was with that club that he got extra time and maybe that year too much. But even if they didn't give him that year, if they if they had a part of company and they got relegated this year, they'd be saying, well, you let him go too early. He always kept you up. And so you're never going to win on that one. It's a good chance now. There's a new stadium coming, get a new man in and maybe a new way of playing, you know, a new, a new vision for the club. It, it could all, it all could be good in the long run. Well, th- Considering the fact Jim McGuinness is the only really name that's been linked with the job at the moment, that wouldn't say the style of play is going to change much. Uh, I wouldn't be a massive fan of Jim McGuinness. Uh, he hasn't got tactics. the job yet, though. No, he doesn't have the job yet, but we're just going off early links. Um, but going back to Ollie, I've said to you, I don't know if it's on camera or off camera, I could never see him walking in another League of Ireland job. If, if he does want to come back into League of Ireland management, like we did mention that he's a Galway man. Uh, Galway again, haven't got promoted. Are they getting is John Caulfield's time number there? I don't know. Uh, Bray Wanderers, they're gonna have to be looking for a new manager in the offseason, right? Um, yeah. Pat Devlin can't be doing he can't be a co-owner, a director of football and a manager at, at the one club. It cannot be happening. It's an absolute mess. And even Wexford, Wexford now with Ian Ryan gone, I think that's a similar mould to what uh, what Finn Harps is. And I think that actually for me that could be a likely job for Ollie if it's something that he wanted to do. Um I think, that's the most, I think that's the most likely, uh, to tell yeah. you the truth. Um, I, I, listen, I think there's a lot of good coaches out there now, good coaches turning into managers. There's a lot of young ones who are hungry to go on and do things in the league and in football. Ollie's going to have a job, uh, you know, getting a, another job. And, and if he does, 
he, he's going to have to do uh, probably as good a job as he has done at Finn Harps to to keep that job and keep in the mind frame of for, for other jobs. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be getting the Shamrock Rovers job or the Dundalk job. So <laughs> no. the, 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 Wexford, the Wexford one is, you know, they're the kind of ones that he, he could see him maybe getting, you know, trying to steady the ship or, you know, uh, making them hard, you know, overachieving even, you know, because that's what he's yeah. good at. Yeah, the but likes of Matt Law maybe even, that's another, another side we, we, we left yeah. out. Something like that could, could be the level that he goes in at. Maybe he does and maybe he doesn't want to go back in though, that's the question. We exactly, really look, we, we don't like to be talking about personal lives here on the show, but it just sort of came out that his mother passed away a couple of months ago. The, as the, so travelling up and down to see his mother in Galway and things like that. I'm sure that, that plays, plays a lot balancing the full-time job. There's no secret as well that he's, he's genuinely probably one of the most hardest-working managers in this league, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Anytime you like, he's often photographed. Whoever Finn Harps are playing next, he's always on the road. He never seems to stop. So maybe it could be something just to where uh, he still has the full-time job as a teacher. It could, it could be just settle down for a while. I don't know what the man is like. I've, I've never met him uh, that close or that personal. But yeah, who knows? But... I, I think if we're going to be, if we were to place him, if we were to give Ollie a job here here and now, I would agree with you. I think it would be the likes of the Wexford at, at the Atlantis. Even though he's from Galway, I just think that's too big of a task uh, yeah. for them, uh, for the ambition that they're going on. Not that Ollie's not an, uh, not an ambitious manager, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd see him slotting in easier to with Atlantis or Wexford than to with Galway United that are full time with, with a decent financial backing. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll we'll keep an eye on that. It'd be good to see him back in the league. Good to see him what he can do with another team. Um, and uh, should we keep our eye on that one? That's uh, it's it's an interesting one, especially who takes the job up in Donegal. Right, there's a new Stephen Kenny Ireland squad out, Nathan, uh, for the games in November. Who has missed out and who has made the squad? I don't know. I'm looking at this squad, Nathan, and I'm thinking, you know, it was this an opportunity. We don't have too many friendlies. Most games are competitive now with the Nations League. Yeah. Maybe there should have been more changes. Yeah, I 100% agree. I have it him. If he knows me, my main complaint is that these games, they're only for Pruitt, let's be honest. The friendlies always are. Um, I was hoping he'd be a bit more experimental with the squads uh, than anything else. Uh, yeah, so he's 26-man squad for the games against Norway at home uh, on the 17th of November. Let's be honest, it's, it's the Ireland Haaland show, isn't it? That's if anyone bought a ticket for this game, it's just to see Haaland play. And he's in the squad, so people will be happy that they get that money's worth anyway to get to see Haaland play. <laughs> so yeah, made a squad now is, is uh, Will Smallbone has come in uh, for his first call-up, along with Evan Ferguson, who's been excellent for Brighton yeah. uh, this season. Jamie McGrath back into the fold, uh, doing good work there at, at uh, Dundee United. Uh, Shane Duffy it was the major name I think that that's missing out but you can understand game time has been limited since since going to Fulham and I am I'm not going to stop beating this bleeding drum until Jeff Hendricks is out of a fucking Ireland squad I say it every time I think we talk about Ireland this is what I mean like, like to have Jeff Hendricks in the squad with the likes of we could have had Connor Coventry I know Connor Coventry's gone back to West Ham and time, game time is lim- limited even Joe Hodge someone that's been in now the cup squads at Wolverhampton Really, really impressive. Uh, he's just recently back into the fold of the under-21s and he's been doing excellent work uh, with, uh, down there with, with uh, Jim Crawford. So it, these are nothing games. The, the game's just to try out these new systems, try out these new players. And I was just hoping to see one or two. I'm great to see Will Smallbone in, someone that I was hoping to see in the squad. Same with Evan Ferguson. But 
I was really hoping to see, to see one or two more uh, the, the younger names and the upcoming stars just to get them a run out and see how they get on um, with that bit of added pressure of being in the senior national team. Well, do you know what, Nathan? Why couldn't they had a third game if they wanted to? Because the World Cup is on, so it's not real. It's not a big deal. They could have had a third game against one of the minnows, I don't know, San Marino or something like that, and played a lot of the younger lads in it, get their first international game, yeah. the likes of Coventry and, you know, Evan Ferguson and what have you. Uh, now, mix them in, but just give them good game time, give them that experience, and you're not losing out on anything. It, 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 it doesn't make sense for me if he's playing Jeff Hendricks in a game like this. What does that teach him? Jeff Hendricks, this time next year, when well, this time next year, he probably won't be involved with the Ireland squad. And you've I got wouldn't Fra- be you've got, he is. No, and you've got, Fra- <laughs> you've got France in March. And do you really want Jeff Hendricks playing in that game in March? So, uh, yeah, no, there's a, there's a couple of things that baffle me. It's good to see Liam Scales is in there. That's good to see. Yeah. As you said, Evan Ferguson. Odelda, right, listen, Odelda's in. That's fine. He wants to pick Odelda. I don't see the Odelda thing. I've, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen what he's no. done since he's come into Ireland. Scott Hogan, I actually feel sorry for Scott Hogan. He does all right in the league. You see the likes of him and James Collins in the Ireland setup. I couldn't I couldn't even one one Scott Hogan or James Collins moment from being yeah. in, in the Ireland squads that they've been yeah. a part of. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think we're both on the same page here. I think we've he's missed out an opportunity to put in a couple more players in games where you know, especially the Malta game he he could have played a strong team in that in that first game against uh, against Norway and you know look at maybe whatever he needed to look at and this Malta game or even a tour game as I said it, they could have gave opportunities to those younger players to play in a system and get used to it if they ever needed to come in. Uh, I mean if Jeff Hendricks all of a sudden is out injured and there's a couple of others out injured and then you've got the likes of young Coventry that uh, you know maybe goes out on loan has a great half a season before the France game or before the end of the season and all of a sudden he hasn't been in the squad to to you know reap the rewards of that experience yeah I, I just think it's a mistake like yourself look if there's a reason to watch the game I will give you give you might give you one for any uh Kit, uh, anyone that's into you know kit enthusiasts, uh, enthusiasts and things like that, it's going to be the last time Ireland will be playing in the Umbro shorts. Um, it's reported Roy that uh, Castori are going to be coming in and replacing Umbro uh, in the new year. They be, they be coming on as part of uh, both the men's and the women's uh, international sides. An announcement is expected to come in the coming weeks, and in a debut is expected to come. A debut of a new jersey. Uh, from the new uh, supplier is expected to come in the early new year. And not Couldn't many find... people, ha- not many people happy with that, Nathan. From no. what I believe, I, I don't know their jerseys that well because I haven't had them. But from what I believe, they're they're not of great quality. Allegedly, I'm going to say because I haven't I haven't seen them. As in, I've never put my hands really on them. Um, have you? Never really had. Never tried one on. Never had my hands one. Was talking to a Newcastle fan though, and he was full of nothing but negative comments to, to say about them in terms of quality and even uh, ordering. There's a lot of issues on that side of the fence too. Look, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm sure there will be an outcry uh, if anything go, goes amiss. I know a lot of people are hoping to see maybe you know a top tier Adidas and Nike or even an Irish brand like the likes of O'Neill's or something coming in. But yeah, no, Castori seems to be the one going forwards. Uh, now, they couldn't have timed it any better with the Women's World Cup coming up in, 20, in next summer, 2023. There's going to be a huge demand for uh, for replica kits, kits there. Like you said, the, the Euro 2024 qualifying campaign starts in March against uh, France. 
so yeah, for them, they couldn't have turned it any better because there's going to be an interest to be, for people to get their hands on the new Ireland jersey uh, for a massive 2023 that's coming up. Okay. Right, well, Nathan, we're going to leave it there. This won't be our last podcast for the, the year. We will come back and we'll have a couple before Christmas. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, as for League of Ireland, it's been an, another good year for... Uh, the likes of Shamrock Rovers, especially Derry City. Uh, congratulations to Cork City who go up. We didn't mention tonight about the UCD miracle that happened oh, yeah, and Wa- and Waterford uh, missing out. But again, we'll be looking at all that and it's, it's interesting to see what way some of the changes like Galway United that we were talking about, uh, Waterford who are full-time, what they're, what way they're going to look at the, the new season next year because it's a tricky league to get out of. We'll talk to you next week.